0: Good morning. So good to see you. All right. Well, a small country Texas town had four churches in it. There was the Presbyterian Church, there was the Methodist Church, there was the Catholic Church, and there was the Baptist Church. And Somehow each of the churches had been overrun with these pesky squirrels. And so they didn't know what to do about it. So they all got together and had their, had their own discussions about what to do about the squirrels. The Presbyterians, they called a meeting and they decided that after much prayer and consideration, they determined that the squirrels were predestined to be there and they should not interfere with God's divine will, so they left the squirrels alone. Well, the Methodist church, the squirrels had taken up habitation in the baptistry bowl. The deacons met and decided to put a cover over the baptistry bowl and drown the squirrels in it. Somehow the squirrels escaped, and next week there were twice as many to come back. The Catholic group got together and decided that they were not in any position to harm any of God's creation, so they humanely trapped the squirrels and they set them free a few miles outside of town. But three days later, the squirrels came back. The Baptist church came up with the best and most effective solution. They baptized the squirrels and they registered them as members of the church. And now they only see them on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And I can tell that joke because it's not Christmas or Easter. When we think of discipleship, uh, we we don't need to just think of baptizing a person and and putting them on the church rolls. That's not what discipleship is. That's part of it. But discipleship is much more relational than that. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus called his first disciples. We're going to see some elements that are evident in discipleship And these are elements that we can't apply to our lives. So Luke chapter 5, as we continue tracing through Jesus' life, verse 1, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of zebedee who were partners with simon and jesus said to simon do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him heavenly father as we come into your house today we thank you that this is a major aspect of becoming a disciple, being in a rhythm of weekly hearing your word preached, singing your praises, Lord, praying to you, having you intercede in our lives as we pray for others, as people pray for us, or as we have a community. Lord, so we thank you for days like today. And we thank you that in your word you have modeled to us discipleship. You have modeled to us what it looks like to be a disciple and what it looks like, Father, to disciple others. But we know that we will not be perfect at this process. So show us what we can learn from the life of Jesus today to help us in not only our own discipleship, but as we are called to disciple others, Father. Lord, I pray that my words are yours today, that you speak through me, that you fill me with your spirit. we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to show you three principles that Jesus used to call his first disciples. Three principles Jesus used uh, to call his first disciples. The first thing he did was he sought and he chose. So that's number one, seek and choose. Seek and choose. And choose. Verse 1 says that on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now the lake of Gennesaret here is also known as the Sea of Galilee. You may have heard that uh, before. So as Jesus was preaching, he, he noticed as he was preaching what was happening around him. He saw certain people moving around and talking and things like this so he looked for an opportunity and Mark tells us that these fishermen were Simon Peter and Andrew in Mark's account now we're not we're not sure how engaged Simon and Andrew were at this time as they were fishing they were washing their nets so perhaps they were taking a break to hear the words of Jesus and whether they were there intentionally to hear Jesus as most of the crowd was, or whether they just happened to be there, the point is they were there. And we're also not sure if Jesus knew them beforehand. Some scholars believe he may have had some relationship with them beforehand because he felt comfortable enough to get into Simon Peter's boat. Verse 3 tells us that. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Of course, being in the boat, speaking onto the shore, created a natural amplification, so it was easier for them to hear him. But it's important to note that Jesus chose these disciples. These disciples did not approach Jesus. They did not come to him. And then say, please let us follow you. Now, no doubt he would have said, okay, well, here's what you have to do. But he went and chose them. Jesus gravitated to these men. He saw these men and he chose them. When I was in college, I had to do an internship in order to graduate. And so I got an internship working inside of a, a pro shop of a golf course. And that counted for my internship. And at some point, I told one of the other employers or employees there uh, that after a while I graduated that December, I was on my way to seminary to go into the ministry. And he thought that was interesting. And we just talked a little bit about it. He asked what church I went to and asked him what church he went to. And I never really heard of it before somewhere in, you know, in Columbia. And, and then randomly he just came up to you one day and he said, hey, when can we get together? And and go through the scriptures together it's kind of odd thing to ask someone I mean you know I I thought well maybe you know we're both you know brothers in Christ but you know he had his church and I had my church I didn't understand why he necessarily wanted to go with me and so I was like okay yeah maybe one day I just thought it was a way it was weird the Holy Spirit kind of was like that's odd you know and so he kept asking me and I was just like you know I don't Really need to do that with you. <laughs> I'm just working this job. I didn't really. I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Like I think he thought I wasn't saved. You know, I was like, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm actually going to seminary and all this kind of thing. We need to get together and go through the scriptures. Like, okay, this is strange now. So I went back to my college pastor there in Columbia, and I told him about the story. And he said, well, "What's the name of the church?" And I told him the church, and he said, "Oh, that's a cult." <laughs> he said, "They they prey on college kids." And uh, I hear about it all the time, you know, down there in Columbia. And I was like, oh, and he said, yeah. So then I realized that, and then I started reading up on this particular cult, and I started watching some of his actions and things he did, and I realized, oh, yeah. So then I became an expert of this cult because I wanted to know about it, right? And he kind of kept on pressing me, and I just kind of ignored it, and I stopped. And he had the wrong way of going about seeking and choosing uh, a disciple. And, And the interesting thing about this cult is, Whoever brings you into the church you basically became become their slave you become their servant you do everything for them it's it's a cult it's not a good situation Jesus models the right way so even if you're a growing Christian there are some who know less about falling Christ than you do identify those in your life who you need to disciple as we're looking for people that God puts into our lives to disciple we need to make sure we don't come across that we're in a cult because we're not, right? But we genuinely need to take an interest in people, genuinely take an interest in people. They don't need to think it's a sales pitch or there's some other ulterior motive. People can see through that just like I could see through what was going on with that man. If you have children or, or grandchildren or even great-grandchildren, you know, that's the easy place to start discipling. I remember being a little child and sitting at the feet of my great-grandmother, and she would get me alone sometimes and sit me there, and she would tell me about all the issues in the world and what was right with it and what was wrong with it. And she was right on some things. I'm not sure she was right on others. But she would tell me. She was discipling me. She would tell me everything that I needed to know. And, man, when you have family members, you have captive ears that are able to hear you tell them about what it means to follow Jesus, who is Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. We're called to make disciples. Look at Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Baptizing is just the first step of discipleship then comes the idea of teaching others to observe all that Jesus has commanded. We are commanded to make disciples. And we don't have to sit around and wait for God to throw someone into our lives. Jesus sought and chose his. So we are to do the same. So this is the first step as we can seek and choose. Secondly, we teach and we bless. We teach and we bless. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In this section, uh, we see Jesus making disciples by doing two things. The first is he's teaching. He just finished teaching the Word of God here. We don't know exactly what he was teaching. But it's safe to surmise that he was going through the Old Testament scriptures and he was telling people about God that he was the Messiah. So teaching the Bible, of course, is a huge aspect of discipleship. This is why on Sunday mornings, whether it's me or or Colby or even if we have a guest, our sermons at First Baptist go through scripture. Now, one would think this would be the norm in most churches, but it is not the norm in most churches. Many churches, you might hear just more about a life lesson or a principle, or maybe be more like a motivational speech. And those are fine to give if it comes through and along with Scripture. But Jesus spoke the Word of God, so we speak the Word of God. But people have a different view nowadays of even what it means to preach God's Word. Last church I pastored, I had the same approach to preaching that I do here. And when I first arrived there, I spent months on Sunday morning preaching through the book of Matthew. And on Wednesday nights, going through the book of Hosea. I remember this. And after maybe nine, ten months in, I received an anonymous email that informed me, The church was sick of Matthew, and they wanted me to simply preach the word. (laughs) We want to hear you preach the word. Well, it's clear that their idea of preaching the word was not literal. Preaching the word is not synonymous with getting loud, which I do sometimes, or telling people they're going to hell if they don't have Jesus, which I do sometimes. Or sweating which i do sometimes or telling or yelling stories which i do preaching the word is explaining scripture and it's applying it to your life that's what jesus did that's what makes disciples secondly the second thing jesus did was he blessed his disciples look at verse 5 simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. We see that the blessing started with Simon's obedience. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing, but he obeys anyway. There's always blessing in obedience. Even when we're not real sure what Jesus is calling us to do. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. There's always blessing. When we obey God's commands look at Psalm 1 starting in verse 1 God's Word says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. When we hear God's word, and then when we do it, we are blessed. And that's what discipleship looks like. Teaching God's word, giving others a chance to obey it. And number three, as we make disciples, we encourage, and sometimes we challenge. We encourage and we challenge. Verse 9. It says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. James and John were called by Jesus to be his disciples. So Jesus starts with four fishermen. And interestingly enough, James, John, and Peter, three of the first four, became a part of Jesus' inner circle. So these men had been business partners, they had invested a lot of assets and money into their fishing business, but they quit their jobs. To follow Jesus Jesus tells them your lives will now change you still will be fishing but you'll be catching men and he encourages them by saying don't be afraid and Then he gives them a challenge by saying you now will be fishing for men but he encourages them he says don't be afraid one day a teacher asked her students to list the names of the other students in the room on two sheets of paper leaving a space between each name then she told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down and it took the remainder of the class period to finish their assignment so as the students left the room each one handed in the papers and that Saturday the teacher wrote down the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper and listed what everyone else had said about that individual Now, on Monday, she gave each student her list, and before long, the entire class was smiling. Really, she heard, I never knew that I meant anything to anyone. And some of the comments said, I didn't know others liked me so much. Part of being a discipler is being an encourager. We need to encourage those in our lives. Sometimes it's just being nice to others and telling them how God is blessing us them. My own children, there are times where I will encourage them. And then there's times where I will challenge them. And as a discipler, you know the times where that is the case. Sometimes they need both. But we make disciples by encouraging. We make disciples by challenging. When the famous evangelist D.L. Moody was living in Boston, he had been attending a church But he had yet to come to faith in Christ. And Moody remembers this. He says, I was in Boston. I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day I recollect my teacher came around the corner of the shop. I was at work in. And he put his hand upon my shoulder. And he talked to me about Christ and my soul. And I had not felt that I had a soul until then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man... Who never saw me till lately and he is weeping over my sins and i never shed a tear about them but i understand it now and know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and weep over their sins i don't remember what he said but i can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder even tonight all he remembers is the man's hand on his shoulder praying for him the concern the tears of a godly teacher resulted in the conversion of a man in D.L. Moody who saw millions of souls saved in his revivals in his evangelistic campaigns and in many ways God uses your skills he uses your life experience to make disciples Who has you put in your life that only you can reach? Who has you put in your life that only you can disciple? Whose soul are you weeping over? Perhaps all they need is a hand on their shoulder to let you know that you're praying for them. Or that you're weeping for their sins that they would turn to Jesus. When it comes to making disciples, you get to look you get to seek you get to choose you get to teach you get to bless you get to encourage you get to challenge who is it that the lord may be putting into your life today next sunday we're having our chili bowl kick off, and i like eating chili and i love all of you and i love super bowl so it's great we all get i'll get all three but it's a great opportunity to invite someone to the church building, they need something to do. Almost everyone, almost everyone will end up watching the Super Bowl. The question is where are they going to watch it? Who are they going to watch it with? Maybe you can invite them to this. Say, hey, you need some chili? Want to watch a big screen, high def game? We have the place for you. Maybe just by doing that, you can open them up the possibility. Of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's the great thing about discipleship. You get to choose. You get to choose. So who has God laid upon your heart? Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, thank you so much for what you've given us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that you would put in our own hearts. Who today and this week and the days to come, we should spend time with encouraging and challenging and blessing and teaching about Jesus. Not so we can earn some type of reward, but because you've changed our hearts and you want us to obey you, Lord. You've commanded us you want us to obey you. Father, we love you. There's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you that they would do so today. That They would turn from their sins, Lord, and they would believe in the truth that Jesus died for them. And through his death and his burial and resurrection, he's purchased salvation for their souls. He gives them eternal life and he gives them the abundant life here on earth. They would turn to you today. And Father, for those of us who know you, that you would show us, Lord, who we can disciple in our lives and who we should be discipling. And give us the direction and the wisdom to do so, Lord. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.